This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to the must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. And that is Under the Dome with CD. On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And as always, we are coming to you live from inside the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing. And I think it's safe to say... Baby, we're looking good! And I think it's even more great to say today, you know, you know what today is. It's Championship Saturday, and that's a pretty great day. I think head coach Billy Napier agrees with me. It's a great day for football, man. It really is a great day for football. A lot of championships being determined today. Last night we saw the Pac-12 championship get decided. And heck, we even saw last night the St. Thomas Moore Cougars win in their second state championship with a route over De La Salle. That was just one heck of a ball game. In case you missed it, here's that final call for you in just a second. St. Thomas Moore is about to win the state championship for the second time in school history. It's been a long season. Howard, under center. He's going to step back. The clock, one, zero. And for the second time in St. Thomas Moore's history, they are state champions. And Jim Hightower just got the Gatorade bath (laughs) from his St. Thomas Moore Cougars. And that's how that ball game ended. A route, I'll give you the score. That was a 58-10 to victory. STM gets a dominant win over De La Salle to win the Division II state title in their home turf, in their home dome. That was just some fantastic stuff. And I'd say last night was amazing, just looking at all the games that happened last night, state semifinals, state championship games. I'll talk about uh, talk about them right about now because I've got a lot of things to talk about with those final scores. We start things off seemingly like we've always done. Is hey, they start with the letter A. They're in Class Five A, and they're headed to the dome. And we're talking about those Acadiana Wreck in Rams, and they got it done last night, twenty-one to fourteen, narrow victory. Zachary gave them all they had to offer, and we talked. We talked about it in the past the fact that that is a very, very tough ball game to kind of determine which route it's going to go. But I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I feel like Acadia and Ohio Wrecking Rams—they're going to win the state title, and they'll be taking on Destran, who beat Houghton twenty-seven to seventeen. Destran, Acadia and Ohio, looking forward to it once again. My pick for that one is the Rams. Yeah, that's how we're going to do that here on Acadiana Sports Station. They're ramming it all the way to a state title. In my mind, then we had 
in Class 4A, Edna Carr taking down Neville 40-21. to 21. I'd say it's almost stunning seeing what happened right there. And then Warren Easton beats Lakeshore in a Big 12-esque matchup, 64-55. Regardless of who was going to win those two state semifinals in Class 4A, it was going to make for one hell of a Class 4A state final. But Edna Carr, Warren Easton, that's how you want it to go, am I right? And then Class 3A, yet St. James beat Union Paris 25-14. Jennings gets the win over McDonough 35-21-20. So we got two Acadiana area teams making their way to the Dome and walking to New Orleans, and it's Acadiana and Jennings. St. James Jennings should be a fun one as well inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. And then we look at the 2A semifinal matchup. Manny jumping past those Kentwood Kangaroos. 17 to 14 Manny me walking to New Orleans some great stuff right there and then Faraday rolling over a meet 42 14 I would love to see Kitwood a meet being a state final game but this one's still gonna be pretty darn good not the sexiest state semifinal but I think we'll wind up calling this one a hidden gem when it's all said and done in class 1a Oak Grove blanks Logansport 41 zip White Castle dominates Overland 42 25 that should be a fun 1A state final between those two teams who put up 40 points apiece in their state title game. And then, of course, we'll flip it on over, move it on over to Division One state finals. And this was an entertaining one as all get out. It was 3 nothing heading into fourth in favor of Rummel. And then the offense started to kind of get things clicking on both sides. And Catholic High took a lead late in the fourth after a pretty nice touchdown. But the Raiders responded right after that. The ensuing kickoff, they ran that bad boy back for six with about three minutes in the ball game. And then an interception almost became a pick six. Sealed the deal for the Rummel Raiders. So congrats to the fighting Larry Holders for winning the Division One state title. And then Division Two, mentioned earlier, St. Thomas Moore dominating De La Salle 58-10. to and then Division Three later tonight, you're going to have LCA taking on St. Charles at Cajun Field. That kickoff is going to be at 6 o'clock. That's about all we got in terms of high school football talk to get to because I've got a lot of other things I want to talk about and I will talk about in depth. I think without a doubt we need to talk about what's going on with that Big game coming up in about forty, in about fifty minutes in beautiful Boone, North Carolina. Eleven a.m. kickoff. It's the Cajuns and the Mountaineers squaring off. I am looking forward to this one. I'm all the way up for it. Hopefully, you are as well. I'm going to have on our guy David Ware, App State Mania. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more at ten fifteen. What's going on with those Mountaineers? Who to watch out for, keys to victory, what he's noticed from the Cajuns from the last time these two teams faced off at Cajun Field to now, and a lot of big takeaways. 10.30, we'll talk with Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, do a little deep dive into all the other conference title games, what happened last night with the Ducks beating the two Utes, and then we can have some fun with our guy at Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast, previewing Saints Niners. Looking forward to it. Hopefully you are as well. A great Saturday afternoon to you. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to have that conversation with our guy, David Ware, App State Mania, in just a little bit. So keep it locked right here on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game, 
and on 1037thegame.com. And trust me, whenever we don't have a guest, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is open for you. So keep it locked right here. The numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And I'm enjoying myself on a Saturday afternoon. And, of course, we got something going on in about 45 minutes' time. And that is what's going on with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns getting ready to take on the App State Mountaineers kickoff at 11 in the second annual Sun Belt title game once again back in Boone, North Carolina. And, of course, a preview. we got to go to the Arco Equipment Hotline right now talk with the guy David Ware, AppStateMania.com. David, how's it going? It's going great. Looking forward to a great game today. And, you know, i got to tell you, I've four times in, uh, in two seasons where we're building up quite the love affair between App State and Louisiana. It's amazing to think about the fact these two teams have played each other four times over the last two years, three times in Boone. I think that's the craziest thing of it all. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I think what it speaks to is that, um, you know, it, it really, I think, tells us where the power in the conference is, and that's not a slam on anybody else in the league. There's some really good teams out there, but I think that App State and Louisiana really have separated themselves, and, you know, that shows up at the end of the year in the championship game. And, you know, we got to kind of take a look back at what happened the last time these two teams faced off, and that was the 17-7 to game at Cajun Field. What can you say about the Cajuns and how much they've improved from what you've seen based off of film and what you saw in that last meeting heading into this ball game? What's the biggest point of emphasis you've seen improve on this team? Well, you know, I think the thing that jumped off the page at me, both statistically and in watching some of their games, uh, was the balance that has come into that offense. Look, we've always known that uh, Louisiana is a really powerful running team. That's Billy Napier's, uh, you know, calling card. The, the physicality the bringing the run, obviously him being a Furman guy, he knows that state well. So, you know, that's his persona. Uh, but I think the, the team has become so much more dangerous for Levi Lewis's uh, development and, and the enhancement in his passing game. And, you know, when you, when you add that passing game to such a strong running threat, you know, play-action passing becomes a really great weapon. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing I saw. I, I thought App State did a really good job of containing him in the pocket. Uh, which is what you have to do with a mobile quarterback. But, you know, it, it's really – he looks much more comfortable in the pocket now. So, you know, just because the pocket's collapsing doesn't mean he can't make a play. He's really added that to his repertoire uh, as the season has gone on. Talk right now with David Ware of App State Mania. Two, it's a 247 sports site. Definitely focus on recruiting, but also more importantly, just those Mountaineers in general. And let's kind of – Flipping on over, Darrington Evans has been an absolute beast this year for the Mountaineers. Something we talked about a lot last season when these two teams faced off was kind of the running back woes, and now we're seeing Evans kind of become the real bell cow for this team, Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Year. What do you say about him and how much that helps the Mountaineers have a good balance of run and pass? Well, I mean, it's, it's hugely important because it's the identity of who App State really is. You know, the funny thing is when – 
when Eli Drinkwitz came in as our head coach, I think Eli really had this – I think people had a perception of him as just this passing circus kind of coach because he had Ryan Finley at NC State. And it's funny to see, you know, now going into our 13th game, his run-to-pass ratio is exactly what our run-to-pass ratio was under Scott Satterfield, who, of course, was our previous coach. And Darrington is a huge part of that. He is um, He's absolutely a guy that – you know, is making a difference there. And, you know, he, he came into the starting lineup last year when Jalen Moore, who was, you know, a, a, a predominant running back, was the, uh, the Sun Belt player of the year, the year uh, two years before. And he got hurt at Arkansas State. Darrington came in as the starter at that point. And since that game, he's averaging almost 110 yards a game. So, you know, I, I think that's really a, a testament to the recruiting that has been done in that you lose your top running back, the guy that comes in behind him, and this is a lot like Louisiana, the guy that comes in behind him is just another 100 yards back. And, and that's a really unusual thing. But Darrington is a little bit different uh, from some other running backs we've had at App State in that his real talent is that when he gets to that second level, he's got that next gear, that turbo, if you will, to separate himself from defensive backs. So, you know, if he gets 12, 15 yards down the field and he's got a lane, generally speaking, he's going to run away from the people that are pursuing him. Talk right now with him, uh, David Ware of App State Mania. And kind of just, you brought up Eli Drinkwitz earlier. I want to get this question out here is the, what's been the biggest difference between Eli Drinkwitz and what we saw with Scott Satterfield? Because it feels like those two coaches, just in terms of in general, feel very, very different. So what's it been like covering Scott Satterfield over the last several years at App State compared to now with Eli Drinkwitz? Well, you know what? I, I mean, again, I, I touched on the fact that, you know, really their, their play-calling similarities are almost uh, almost a little unexpected. They, they really call a very similar game. Now, Eli's offense is different, but, you know, I think the biggest difference between them, if I'm just being really honest about it, is their personalities are very different. They go about things differently, but Ultimately, because both of them were focused on how do we play winning football at App State, they've gotten the results from it. And Eli's way is different. Um, you know, doesn't necessarily mean it's better. It's certainly not worse. We're sitting here, at, you know, uh, eleven and one. So who's going to complain? But you know, I, I think it's just different ways of thinking about things, different ways of going about things. The messages are a little bit different, but you know, the results have been the same. And, and to be truthful with you, Clint. I think a lot of that is really because App State has very much a player-led culture. Uh, they put the responsibility and the expectations of not just playing the game, but leading the team on the players in the locker room. And fortunately for us, we've got a really veteran group that has been here before, has done this before, has played for championships before. And, you know, Eli was wise enough to see that and he's let the players and the team really take, kind of take care of their own business, and that leaves him to be able to go out and do the tactical coaching he needs to do to put points on the board and to win games. Talk right now with uh, David Ware, App State Media, and, of course, we'll flip it on over to the defensive side of the football for a minute. I think, of course, the one player that everybody's going to be looking at is Akeem Davis-Gaither, you know, a linebacker out of Thomasville named Defensive Player of the Year for the Sunbelt Conference and App State definitely, they're going to have their hands full with this running back core that everybody's been talking about, the three-headed monster. How big is it going to be for Akeem Davis-Gaither to wind up having a big ball game? 
Well, I mean, I think it's big every week. I mean, you know, when you start talking about a 3-4 defense, which is, you know, what App State runs, um, obviously your inside linebackers are important because you've got to close down those inside running lanes. That's the quickest way to get beat is to lose containment on those inside gaps. But a team is just very unique. He plays to the field or wide side uh, of, of every alignment. And he's just so smart, so confident, and he's got the skills to play in space. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that if you put him one-on-one with somebody, he can make that open field tackle. You can put him in pass coverage. Right now he's second on the team in pass breakups. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a three-down guy. He's always out there. And, you know, when you, when you have a guy like that, you can leave him in risky situations because you know he can handle that. And that enables you to use other guys in that defense very differently. You can bring pressure from different spots. Uh, you can put a lot of weight on a team's shoulders. He can handle it. He wants it. And, you know, he's just, he's another one of those guys. I, you know, it, it's going to be hard to imagine that team with him not out there next season. But, you know, I think he's a guy that has got uh, some really legitimate NFL prospects. And the weather out in Boone, North Carolina, it's going to be chilly right around kickoff. And what do you think is going to be the biggest key for both teams to want to get a big win here in the Sunbelt Conference title game? Well, you know, I think I'm going to go back to the last game. You know, I think one of the things that App really struggled with, uh, Louisiana did a fantastic job, especially on punt teams, of keeping us backed up all night long. We started three or four drives inside our five-yard line. And, you know, that's more, I know that was a huge point of emphasis this week, uh, at App and practices with special teams work and making sure we do a better job of controlling the field position aspect of the game. So I think field position is, is one part of it. Um, you know, I, I, I'd love to say turnovers, but to be honest with you, both teams are really good in that regard. Uh, they don't turn the ball over a lot. And last, the, the last game between us was very clean. There were no turnovers in that one. So, I don't see either team making catastrophic mistakes. I think if there's probably one area I would point to, it's probably red zone scoring. Uh, Louisiana does a great job, best job in the conference, in fact, at not only limiting points in the red zone, but limiting touchdowns. App State, on the other hand, is the best team at scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So, you know, I think that the team that's able to convert touchdowns versus field goals is going to take an immediate advantage. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, probably it's going to take a big play here or there from somewhere. Both plays, can, both teams can be big play offenses, uh, but both defenses are really good at preventing that. So, you know, I'd say red zone scoring, who can make the big play? And, you know, who knows? There may be something when two teams are evenly matched, there could be something that we wouldn't anticipate that's going to happen that's going to swing the pendulum one way or the other. All right, now, David, you're a lot closer to Boone, North Carolina than I am, and you've been able to kind of keep an eye on things that have been going on with this program. Obviously, they're ranked at this moment. If App State were to win, where do you see them headed to a bowl game? Because it feels like you look at their ranking and you look at things the way they set up. I think they have every chance of making it to a lot higher of a bowl game than maybe the New Orleans Bowl. Well, you know what, Clint, I, your, your optimism is going to exceed mine. I would love to say that, and, and to be honest with you, I think App deserves that consideration. Uh, unfortunately, when the CSP rankings came out this week, uh, all three of the G5 contenders that we are competing with for that spot 
are still ranked ahead of us, including Cincinnati, who, of course, lost to Memphis last week. I, you know, I, it's one of those things where I think when you're in the Sun Belt Conference, you almost have to be perfect in order to jump over certainly AAC teams or a team like Boise uh, that has got a national reputation and certainly a well-deserved one. I'm not taking a cut at Boise, but I will say this. If App State were to beat Louisiana in this game today, that would be the fourth top 45 win for App State, according to ESPN's FPI rankings, this season. Three of those would have taken place on the road. The most FPI top 45 wins that any of the other three programs will have at the end of the day is two. So, yes, I understand that the Sun Belt's top-to-bottom balance may not be as strong as some other conferences, but when you go in and win two Power Five games, one at North Carolina, one at South Carolina, and then you beat a team as good as Louisiana, assuming we can do this, twice, you know, I think that that's a great resume enhancement. But, you know, unfortunately, because we're ranked behind both Cincinnati and Memphis, they both can't lose that game, obviously. So, you know, whoever wins presumably is going to remain ahead of us in the standings. I won't say I think it's fair. Uh, I won't say I think it's justifiable. But it's kind of the way things are. And I, I think it just it's sobering, but it's reality. If you're in the Sun Belt Conference, you have to be 13-0 and in order to really get on the same level, even with a two-loss, potentially, AAC team. It's frustrating, but it's kind of where we are and, I know the players and the coaches will be happy with whatever bowl assignment they get because that's a great opportunity, but it would be nice if we could get, I would say, even treatment, even consideration with other G5 conferences. David, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Clint, great talking to you. Good luck today. All right, that was David Ware. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at AppStateMania. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got a whole lot more talk with Steve Lass and Athlon Sports next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 Game and 1037 Game.com. From the preps, I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros, kick ass on one. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And now we're going to flip things over, going from just one title game. We're talking about the Sun Belt title game with our guy David Ware just a little while ago. We're going to flip the page, flip the script, and move on over to what's going on today and what happened last night as well with that Pac-12 title game. It was fun for a little while, then wound up kind of fizzling out, a lot like your typical Pac-12 games along with the college football playoff hopes for the Pac-12. And we're talking about that and a whole lot more right now with our guy aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline. And that is Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. Steve, what's going on, my brother, on this championship Saturday? Hey, Clint. It is championship Saturday. You said it. That means it's going to be a, a huge day for college football. I'm looking forward to the games, the bowl games tomorrow announced, playoffs. So uh, it's an exciting time. 
It's an exciting time, and of course, we got to start things off. Last night, the Pac-12 title game, and you know, you look at what Utah did. The Utes laid an egg in that one with Oregon getting a dominant win, despite the fact that you look at some of the screens that wound up kind of popping up on the way back from that Pac-12 title game. Apparently, some signs were saying, "Hey, like Utah, the Pac-12 champions," but right here, right now, Oregon is getting it done. Yeah, Utah picked the worst possible time to play its worst game of the season. And, you know, you, you kind of watched how that game played out for Oregon. They dominated in the trenches, which is where Utah has dominated all season on defense and on offense. So Oregon really took it to Utah in its own game. So, you know, it's, it's a huge loss for Utah in the sense that they were on the doorstep of making the college football playoff. You look at Oregon, I mean, a couple plays go differently this season. We could be talking about them making the playoff. But once again, the Pac-12 left out of the uh, of the college football playoff largely because uh, Utah came up short in, in the biggest game of the year. Are we really that surprised that, that the Pac-12 is out of the CFP? Because it just feels like it was just inevitably going to happen. I, I'm not surprised at all. I, I guess I'm surprised at how poorly Utah played last night because, you know, for the most part this season, they had been pretty consistent and pretty dominant um, against the Pac-12. And and Oregon was kind of the opposite. They would look good some weeks. They wouldn't look good some weeks. So they they were just kind of inconsistent. It's almost like, you know, kind of as we mentioned, Utah played its worst game. Utah or Oregon played its best game at the right time. But this is kind of the the bigger picture problem for the Pac-12 there's really not a dominant team right now. There's a lot of good teams. There's no dominant team. And when you have a lot of good teams, they tend to beat up on each other, and that's why you see the Pac-12 being left out of the playoffs. Talk right now with Steve Lasson of Athlon Sports. And, of course, we got to flip that on over to the game that's going to matter the most here in this area, and that is the SEC title game, LSU and Georgia. And I just, I just want to ask, first off, what will it take for UGA to make it into the top four, even if they lose this afternoon, or is it just lose and they're done? I think if, the, if Georgia loses, they are done. Um, I think looking at Oklahoma and Baylor as a one-loss champion of the Big 12, they would get in over Georgia, who has two losses. It would be a different case scenario, essentially, if Georgia had lost to someone in the top 10 by a couple points, and then maybe lost to LSU by a couple points, you could make the case then that two losses, two top 10 losses, and close losses, they would have an argument. But I think at this point, if Georgia loses, they're out. The winner of Baylor and Oklahoma would be that number four seed. And then, of course, we got to look at the other side of this perspective is – if LSU loses, in your mind, are they out of the top four because of everything they've built up to this point in time and the way the college football playoff committee seemingly is setting things up to where they're trying to avoid putting LSU at number one? I think LSU is already in the college football playoff. I think the question is, where are they going to be ranked tomorrow? Um, Rob Mullins this morning, the chairman of the playoff committee, seemed to think that you know, you can't you, You have to read between the lines a lot about what the committee is saying, but it does seem like Ohio State and LSU are close. And if that's the case, a convincing win by LSU today would help their case to be the number one seed. 
And as we just talked about with Utah, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Baylor, you much, much want to be uh, that number one seed. You'd much rather be number one and have to play Oklahoma or Baylor than have to go um, in that 2-3 matchup and play Clemson and Ohio State. So I think LSU is in. It's just a matter of where they're seated. But an impressive performance today would give the committee something to think about uh, for that number one seed. And I'd have to wholeheartedly agree with you there. I think if you want to put in the – all right, so let's, let's set the parameters here with that. So you're saying they have a chance of getting the number one spot with a convincing win. What, is, what does convincing mean to you? Is this going to be a two-touchdown victory, or does it have to be three or more touchdowns and holding the Bulldogs to under 20 points? Is that where we're kind of thinking right now? Yeah, I think so. I think something like maybe 34 to 17. And, and of course – you know, I think how the game plays out is also important. If LSU is in complete control from the first snap to the last snap, maybe Georgia gets two late touchdowns in the fourth quarter, the score looks closer than it really played out, then I think that's still convincing enough for LSU. I, I, I don't know that a seven-point win is going to be enough for LSU to make the jump over Ohio State. I think it's got to be double digits and kind of incomplete control from first snap to last snap and giving the committee that convincing victory over a top-five team. All right, flipping on over, we got to kind of look at the Sun Belt title game. Talking right now with Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. Previewed earlier with David Ware of App State Media. But I want to get your perspective on it. Billy Napier, second-year head coach for the Cajuns, two-for-two, two, making it to the Sun Belt title game, representing the West, taking on App State for the fourth time in two years. In your mind, will the fourth time be the charm for the Cajuns? You know, I like the upset potential here for the Raging Cajuns. And I think the I think it's so crucial to which team can run the ball better because, you know, you look at the three times these teams have played, Appalachian State's averaged almost 225 rushing yards in those games. Louisiana has, has averaged around 160 in those games. So that that's a pretty big difference of almost 60 yards for two teams that like to run the ball. I think the Cajuns have to flip that. They have to be able to run the ball better this time. The defense for, for the Cajuns is much improved this season, and you add in the way that Levi Lewis has been playing. I mean, all these things say to me this matchup will be much closer than the previous three, but winning in Boone is very difficult. So I like Appalachian State to win a close game, I'm ducking under my desk as I say this, uh, but I think the Cajuns keep it close today. And I think everybody here would love to see the Raging Cajuns get it done and win their first Sun Belt title game and bring back home, more importantly, the 10 pounds of silver, regardless of all the kind of rumor and innuendo surrounding the coaching carousel, which is taking like a wild, wild turn. I'll be diving into it in the next segment. I want to just keep this more Championship Saturday-focused. But, of course, we got to flip it on over to the Big Ten title game. Where do you see this one going? Does Ohio State just run away with this like they've run away with a lot of other ball games, Or does Wisco put up a challenge? I think Ohio State wins and wins pretty easily. You know, you could make a case and say Ohio State just played a huge rivalry game against Michigan. Uh, do they come out a little sluggish? Are they a little bit emotionally spent? I don't think so. I think Ohio State, the first meeting between these two teams, the Buckeyes dominated 38-7. to They were in complete control throughout the game. I have a hard time finding a scenario where the Badgers can kind of change that dynamic. 
Um, Ohio State's good against the run. Wisconsin is going to have to throw more um, than they probably would like to win this game. So I think it's tough to see uh, a scenario. You know, certainly the rematch tends to benefit the team that lost the first time. I just think Ohio State's just too good, too many weapons, and I just think Wisconsin probably too limited offensively to win this game. So I think the Buckeyes win, and I think they win pretty easily. And we brought up the Big 12 title game a little bit earlier. How do you see that going between Oklahoma and Baylor? Last time these two teams played, I mean, Baylor looked like the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, blowing a 28-3 to lead. And, you know, which way do you see this going? Does it does lightning strike twice and Baylor blows a 28-3 lead again? You don't want to be that 28-3 to lead, right? I mean, I think we've seen that a couple it, times now. It's notable. Anytime you're, you're up 28-3, you need to beware. You know, I think in this game, um, you know, you go back to the first meeting, Baylor dominated the first half, Oklahoma dominated the second half, and the Sooners did that without C.D. Lamb, their best receiver. We went on the road in Baylor and picked up the big win. It's a great matchup of the one of the Big 12's best defenses against one of the, you know, of course, one of the nation's best offenses. So you have a lot of interesting dynamics, and I think Baylor's hungry because the fact that they lost that game and they were in complete control, but it's hard to bet against Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts. We've seen it this year. Outside of that Kansas State game, they, they've been kind of in closed, kind of crunch situations late, and they find a way to pull out the victory. So I think Oklahoma does, and I think the Sooners get the, the victory and the number four seed in the playoffs. All right, Steve, one more for you. Based off your predictions and your projections of what's going to happen this afternoon and tonight, give me your final four. I'm going to stick with Ohio State at one. I think the Buckeyes dominate. I'm going to duck under my desk again. I think the Buckeyes (laughs) dominate uh, today. They hold on to the number one seed. I got LSU at two, Clemson at three, Oklahoma at four. I like that a lot, especially with Oklahoma at number four. I feel like that's going to be a team that just locks it in, and I can't wait to see that final four. Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you. We'll give you next week off because all we have is the Army-Navy game, and I feel like I'm going to get somebody on to talk about that next week. So I'm giving you next week and off, but come bowl season, we're back on, baby. Hey, Clint, it sounds great. I look forward to it. I'll keep in touch, and we'll talk soon. All right, that was Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Athlon Steven. And I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of things that have been changing. A lot of stuff has been moving like crazy if you follow what's been going on with the coaching searches. The coaching carousel hasn't gone into overdrive over the last few hours. And I've got some thoughts. And I think one of those is something that I feel like Cajun fans have been like looking at with anxiety for days. And if you haven't seen the news, I'm going to tell you what's good and what's great about what's going on with the Billy Napier possibly going to a G5 school or P5 school, excuse me, Power, Power 5 program in Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mizzou. Give you the latest and give you some thoughts on what's going to happen next for Billy Napier and crew ahead of that big game coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll be taking a quick timeout. When we come back. I'll give you the latest concerning some of the coaching carousel stuff because it's been a wild last 12 hours, and it keeps getting crazier. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game at .com.
Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? He's got you in Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We're live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios, and we are grinding. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. And my goodness, have we got some thoughts. And also, we got some ideas when it comes to some of the rumor and innuendo that's been popping up over the last 12 hours. It's been a wild, like, last 12 hours if you follow coaching searches because it is hashtag silly season. It is time to kind of give an idea of what's going on with that, and the discussion really has changed as of late in the last 12 hours, especially when it comes to one coach in particular here in the Acadiana area, and that is head coach Billy Napier. Before today's show, I had a segment mapped out entirely dedicated towards Billy Napier being heavily touted as the next head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. This was like Thursday night I started prepping out this segment and coming up with the content to talk about it because I have a lot of things to say about it, especially when it comes to how great this is for the Cajuns program because now it would make the Cajuns job seem a viable opportunity to put yourself in that position and really build off the momentum that Billy Napier had set up with the culture. Now, 12 hours ago, things have changed significantly. Of course, you may have heard the rumors that you've got Joey Freshwater, that's right, Lane freaking Kiffin, headed over to the Grove as the next head coach of the Ole Miss Rebels. Going to give credit to Neil McCready for kind of breaking the news. These were just rumors in your window, but it seems like everything is all but confirmed at this point, that he's making his way to the Grove. He'll be moving over there on Sunday. He's expected to get there. Then they'll make an official announcement on Monday in Oxford. I can about imagine how George Faust, Acadiana's resident Ole Miss fan, is feeling about all this because we talked about it after the Cajuns ULM game was he thought Matt Luke wasn't going to get fired. Lo and behold, less than 24 hours later, he gets the axe, and they've moved quickly. And the big million-dollar question is, does that mean he's still he isn't being considered for any more coaching vacancies? If anybody in their right mind isn't considering for coaching vacancies, I feel like that AD should be questioned heavily because he's a great head coach. He's shown himself to be fantastic in his first two years as a head coach for the Cajuns, moving them up towards the tippy top of like the group of five programs in the country, not just in the Sun Belt, in the entire damn country. And that's saying something, considering how things have been for the Cajuns for years. I mean, they kept hitting that eight and four wall, eight and four. They've broken through that wall, broken on through to the other side, and are ten and two right now. Have a chance to go eleven and two. That has never happened before here at UL, and have a chance to be ranked if they win tonight or this afternoon i should say they'll be ranked in the top 25 no doubt in my mind and that that hasn't happened since ww2 but of course there's other things that you're looking at but when it comes to billy napier a lot of the places that are left aren't exactly desirable now what do i mean by that of course there's arkansas but arkansas is being dumb 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 why do I say that? Because they got rid of their coach a couple weeks ago, before the 
LSU-Arkansas game almost a month ago. They got rid of their head coach already. Like weeks before everybody else did, they got a jump start on everybody to try and get a new head coach. And sources are saying they're pretty darn close to keeping Barry Lunny Jr. as the new head coach or as the full-time coach, basically giving him the Ed Ogeron treatment. And last night when I saw that pop up on my on my phone because I get notifications about like what's going on with college football for Bleacher Report, and I saw this, I had to laugh at this because it's just laughable to think that they have had a fruitless search and are leaning towards like giving Barry Lunny Jr. the full-time head coaching job after being the interim head coach. Seriously, this is a program that has a great basketball and baseball coach, but the cash cow in football is going to have a joke of a head coach, and the program still gonna is going to suffer severely for years to come. My goodness, Arkansas, get it together. I feel like Jerry Jones could do a better job managing that university from a football perspective. Speaking of, but the, the, there are rumors, though, that Eli Drinkwitz is somebody that they need that they're going to try and get. But why not try and get Blake Anderson out of Jonesboro? Blake Anderson has shown himself to be a damn good coach, and you know you can snatch him up out of Jonesboro with relative ease in my mind. And speaking of the Red Wolves head coach, according to Dave Matter of the St. Louis Dispatch, the board has not outright rejected any candidate, but is worried about the public fallout if Mizzou doesn't consider some high-profile coaches and settles for lesser-known names i.e. the Red Wolves head coach, who has definitely been bantied about over the last several days as being the next coach of the Mizzou Tigers after everything that happened with Barry Odom, who went 21-17 and 17 the last three years and each won enough games to be eligible, but still got Das Boot. And then you also have Mike Norvell. This is recent stuff, actually, from like the last half hour. And Mike Norvell apparently going to be the next head coach at Florida State, so that makes a Memphis job available but it still feels like a relatively lateral move to jump from the Cajuns to Memphis. I think we see Billy Napier stick around another year, at least. Because, of course, there's probably going to continue to be changes to the story. But in my mind right here, right now, we see Billy Napier and the culture stick around for another year. He'll get snatched by a bigger program down the road. But in order to do that, to me... If I were an athletic director, I'd look at Billy Napier's record and say, okay, oh, hey, 10-2 this year, last year. We saw him turn it around, and this team got bowl eligible. We saw him turn it around. But where is that signature win? Where is that? If they win tonight, well, this afternoon, I keep saying tonight. It's actually coming up in like three minutes. If they win tonight, that story changes. That script gets flipped. That's my big thing. And also, maybe an SEC opponent in Mizzou, that's down the road. That could be a big win and set you up for those big HC jobs that are coming up down the pike. We'll talk about that down the road, but of course, we'll take a quick commercial break. Come back. We've got to talk about what's on tap this weekend, Championship Saturday, and a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game, and you're listening as well to me on Under the Dome with CD. We'll be back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! Time to 
take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. It's a great day for football, man. It is a great day for football indeed. Thank you, Billy Napier, for those big final thoughts. It really is just a simply phenomenal day for football. It's a great day for football, man. And I'm just looking forward to it. Welcome back. Hour two of Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a sports station. 103.7 The Game is on the air. We're coming to you as always live from the 237 Roof Studios presented by Lafayette Roofing. And you know what? Baby, we're looking good. It is a tremendous Saturday afternoon. We got football about to get started. We've got the big game, Big 12 title game coming up in just a few seconds. Cajuns, App State, that's getting ready. Fun belt action, Big 12 action all the way around. It is a great weekend to be a football fan in general. And, of course, that means it's time to give you an idea of what's on tap, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about this weekend. So why not get it going right now? The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. Without a doubt, the single biggest thing on tap this weekend is football, football, and more football. If you're a just a junkie of for college football, this is the perfect weekend. Because right now, we've got some two pretty damn good college football games getting ready to get started off. That is, of course, Oklahoma, Baylor, the Cajuns taking on App State for the fourth time in two years. Kickoff. About to get jump started off right. And of course, you got the SEC title game coming up in just about a like few short hours. One o'clock pregame, three o'clock kick. We'll be right here on 1037 the game, giving you that ball game. Thanks to Chris Blair and crew, which is I was gonna come right out and say it. It is weird to say that. For one reason, one reason only. Because if you've listened to this station long enough, you know, like This hasn't happened in a long time. Since 2011, we haven't had the SEC title game be broadcast by Chris Blair crew or even Jim Hawthorne and crew before before you saw Blair take over just a few years ago. You've got that on tap for you. 3 o'clock kick. And you'll be here all right here on 1037. I think that's just more than enough to put people over the top and just people are hyped up about it. It's going to get the people going just to see what happens between those two programs. LSU and Georgia in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, not the Georgia Dome anymore because the Georgia Dome's been imploded since. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, a nice venue to host an SEC title game. You know, we usually would air it thanks to what's on one, but this year we're actually going to be airing it thanks to LSU for getting undefeated 12-0 and winning the SEC West with a pretty good win over Alabama and some dominant wins over Ole Miss, Arkansas, and everybody else in between. It's going to be fun. I'll give you my full thoughts on LSU Georgia in the next segment. Maybe just maybe Coach Foe might barge in, but I've got some thoughts on this ball game. I'm going to save those for later and keys to victory. Of course, we also got 
Some other games to keep an eye on with Cincinnati and Memphis facing off in the AAC title game. If Cincinnati loses, that could very well set up Memphis to be the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to a G5 team making the New Year's Six Bowl. What happens with App State? Could they move into the Belk Bowl? David Ware, not so optimistic. You know, Mike, I'm a different kind of cat. I like being a little bit more optimistic. Other notable title games, of course. We had Clemson looking to improve their stock ahead of the college football playoff, taking on Virginia. 28.5 point favorites those Tigers are. I would be surprised if Travis Etienne just goes off. But don't be surprised if Virginia and Bryce Perkins, who wanted, like really having a breakout ball game last weekend. This is the first time I had seen him play. And we're talking about Bryce Perkins out of Virginia. That dude was just all over the place. I love what I saw from him. I think he's going to wind up being a big name to keep an eye on in the not-too-distant future. He definitely has a Lamar Jackson type of vibe to him, and I like that a lot. So I'm looking forward to seeing that game just because I don't think Virginia wins, but they do cover that 28.5-point spread. I'll give them that. And then, of course, Ohio State-Wisconsin is the game that everybody's looking forward to, and I think with good reason. Is Ohio State doesn't, I don't think Ohio State lays an egg and somehow loses this game. That's not going to happen. But I think what will happen is Wisconsin makes this a competitive ball game. Yes, T.J. Watt, J.J. Watt, they are walking through that door. That defense could very well get torched a lot of times. But I still give an edge to Wisconsin to at least try and make it a little bit more competitive, maybe a 10-point game, a touchdown game. I think Wisconsin can wind up doing at least that and set things up to be very, very successful in the not-too-distant future when you just look at the LSU Tigers and their stock ahead of the college football playoff final rankings coming out on Sunday, the bowl games, and, of course, other things going on. And just had a score, my goodness, top Zach Thomas to Darrington Evans, 58 yards to give App State an early 7-0 lead. That was pretty darn fast. 13 minutes and 2 seconds off the clock. So, man, definitely going to be interesting to see how the Cajuns respond there. But, of course, flipping on over, I think we just need to look at Ohio State, Wisconsin, and that determines a lot of things going forward for the for the. For the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we'll see what happens over the next few hours. But still, overall, a great Saturday of college football. Great slate of it. And then we flip it on over to the NFL. I think without a doubt, the big one that everybody's looking at is the Saints 49ers. An NFC South preview that is somehow not on Sunday Night Football. So, just for comparison's sake, Saints 49ers, two 10-2 teams for a chance to really improve their case to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs versus this matchup. The Seahawks and Rams. The Seahawks 10-2. They're on a roll. They were just on Monday Night Football, and they're taking on a Rams team that is 7-6, 7-5, excuse me, and on the verge of not making the playoffs after making it to the Super Bowl the year before. Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. I would much rather see Saints 49ers primetime television as opposed to what it is 
this Sunday a high noon kickoff. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm just complaining about is we get we have we have Seahawks Rams again and we don't see a flex. I think that's just disappointing, especially when you look at the other matchups that are on tap this weekend with the Patriots and Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs coming on over. I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens this weekend in the NFL. More importantly, just looking forward to what's going on with the LSU Tigers and the Raging Cajuns. It's it's just ridiculous to think how much quality college football and football in general is on tap. And my last take will definitely revolve around that, especially when it comes to the state of Louisiana, because there's a lot of love for Louisiana programs here on Acadiana Sports Station. I'll give you some thoughts on that in just a little bit. Just keep it locked right here. Of course, we got at 1130, our good friend of the program, Ross Jackson. He'll be joining us in at 1130 to give us a preview of that 49ers matchup. Big Keys, George Kittle, and who knows what else we'll get into because, trust me, this is going to be a lot of fun. It's just a fun show in general. So hopefully you just sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 45 minutes or so because we're going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that LSU-Georgia game and what could happen in that one. Take a quick time out. I'll be back with more of Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. You Manchester United supporters, sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. And looks like the Cajuns just pop bon to start off the afternoon in Boone, North Carolina. Currently down 7-0. They fumbled. And, you know, I got a, I got a text during the break from our guy Ben hitting me up. He's like, man, that... that that some title game was fun while it lasted. I'm like, yeah, it's five minutes in, and we're already kind of just talking about, oh, hey, this is a paw ball, ball game. It was Raymond Calais fumbling that one down 7 nothing, And App State already near midfield. So, hey, this one is going to be a long one. And it further proves just – I talked about it after the App State game that the Cajuns are still behind App State. Yes, it's gotten closer and closer and closer, that gap. But guess what? You're still behind the eight ball, and you're playing against App State, who's probably going to be the best team in the Sun Belt for years to come. I think it this proves, no matter what, no matter what kind of head coach you have, that the Cajuns are going to have a hard time getting over the proverbial hump. And with App State, that they're the hump. They're the hump, and you're going to have to try and figure out where, what you need to do going forward 
to try and beat them at their own game in their stadium. Because, again, the Cajuns heading that ball game undefeated on the road. And right now it's not looking too pretty good. And here comes another big play. So, yeah, we're just going to kind of move on from that. Because guess what? We got some LSU talk to talk about and what's causing all this right here on a Saturday afternoon. It comes down to it, LSU-Georgia is probably one of the biggest games LSU's had in a while. Because to me, yes, LSU has already locked down a spot in the college football playoff. Has that spot at the table ready to go. What they do with that or where they are, that's the million-dollar question. And everybody, and I mean everybody, has gotten hot about it. And I understand why. I completely understand why people are getting hot as all get out about the LSU Tigers not being number two. I understand that. But I think everybody needs to simmer down a little bit and sit back and think about how this thing could turn out. LSU right now is playing the number four team in the country in Georgia. Think about that. Yes, people are saying, oh, they, they put Alabama down to 12 because they want to make that mean, that loss, that loss to, that win, to Alabama, win over Alabama mean less. No. Just the fact that Alabama sucks. They, they lost two games. They're not playing the national title game. And they lost to Auburn on a freak play. And I think they deserve to be ranked 12. I think that's perfectly deserving. They need to be ranked 12. I think Wisconsin being ranked over Florida, that's a weird flex, but I can understand it. I'll give you some full thoughts on the ball. i give you a key for LSU. But right here, right now, I can tell you that without a doubt, what I've seen from LSU all year long, they're the best team in the country. They can, you can spin it any way you want, and I'll give it to you however you like. Because I'm going to pretty much tell you like it is. I'll tell it like it is, baby. Because guess what? There's a lot of things that I can talk about when it comes to what's going on with LSU and comparing to Ohio State up, down, sideways. And I can tell you right here, right now, LSU is the best team in the country because of the fact their offense is absolutely phenomenal. And they want to poo-poo the defense? That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest question mark that I have is why are you poo-pooing on LSU's defense, because here's the thing. When you have an offense scoring in one or two plays, having this like very big play offense where it's a lot more Big 12 friendly, it is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial to see LSU pretty much roll over Georgia. I think they roll over Georgia. It's going to be a big, big afternoon for for the Tiger fans out there in Georgia, and I think it will be. I think we see Joe Burrow do what he does best and get efficient passes. I think that offensive line is going to hold up pretty darn well against Georgia's defensive line. We'll see that front seven maybe get a couple hits on Burrow, but you know what happens when you hit Joe Burrow? It's like getting the Incredible Hulk. You wouldn't like him when he's angry, and you would not like Joe Burrow whenever he is absolutely cheesed off and we see 
him become an absolute beast. So if you hit him, just beware. You might wind up waking up the monster inside Joe Burrow, and we see him do things that we just have seen him do all year long. But he does it on such a big stage. The Heisman Trophy votes, a lot of them are already in. Joe Burrow's winning that bad boy. But guess what? They're more concerned about making it to the college football playoff, achieving their goals. I think they have every chance to do that. A big win secures a spot in the playoff, even though it already is. But in my mind, a win, especially a two-touchdown win. I talked about it with Steve Lassen earlier. To me, a two-touchdown win locks down the number one spot for the Tigers in the college football playoff. Here's how I see it going the rest of the day with the college football playoff. Number one, we've got LSU ranked at the top. Ohio State drops down to number two because they'll have a competitive game against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's going to cover the spread, and that win over, I feel like that's going to wind up leading heavily because guess what? LSU whipped up on Georgia a 14-17 point game over the Bulldogs, number four in the country, versus what we see Wisco right now. Then we see number three, Clemson. Clemson stays at number three. They stick where they're at. Number four will be Oklahoma, and we get to see a really fun ball game between LSU and Oklahoma in the ATL. I like that matchup a lot. And then we get to see Clemson, Ohio State. That is a really fun ball game, a lot of really intriguing ball game because you don't know which way you want to go with it. Do you want to go with Ohio State's vaunted defense or do you want to go with Clemson's offense that has shown itself to be pretty darn good over the last several years against some really good defenses, i.e. what we saw a couple years ago against Alabama. What we've seen in the series against Alabama, especially last year, where they rolled over Alabama in the national title game, and it was just straight-up impressive. That's my million-dollar question. What happens when you put LSU versus Oklahoma, Clemson versus Ohio State? That's a money matchup in my mind. That's how you determine the true Final Four. You get to see two Big 12-esque offenses go at it, and you get to see a more defensive battle. And the final puts those two together. I think the storybook ending is we see Joe Burrow out for vengeance, out for blood against the Ohio State in the finals. I think that's just the way things are going to go, and that's going to be just a whole lot of fun. What's going down on December 28th? Just about three weeks' time. I can't believe and this is one of the things like I'm just very much like weirded out about when it comes to the way the college football playoff schedule is. And you know, if you haven't seen it yet, here's how the whole thing pans out. So basically, in three weeks, on the 28th of December, you've got the college football playoff semifinal. Then, instead of playing it on January the 6th, they push it back a whole week to January the 13th. Somebody explain that to me. Why is that a thing? I think January 6th should always, the Monday after New Year's should always be the college football, college football playoff final. I feel like that's the way it should be. But apparently that's not the way they want to do things is what it is. But it just feels weird. And the fact you had the Mobile Bowl, I'm so to call it the Mobile Alabama Bowl. I don't care who sponsors it. It could be Barstool. could be even 1-3-7 the game. I'm calling it the Mobile Alabama Bowl. It is just a joke to see that be the game that's going to be featured January 6th on a Monday night as opposed to a national title game. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. 
I'm not in charge of this system that that we've seen in the past. It is just ridiculous. But of course, going back to LSU Georgia, I I got I got LSU winning by a good bit. I think a big reason why is because we see LSU get out in front early. We see the LSU's offense do what it's done all year long. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're up. I'm going to put a number out there right here, right now. 28 to 7 at half. That's my halftime prediction. 28 to 7. They will roll early. They won't get to that 30 point mark because I don't think you wind up seeing that margin get to 30. I would love it, but it just feels like it's very, very difficult to pull that off. Then you got the second half. We see LSU not necessarily pump the brakes, but we see them slow it down a little bit more to control the clock and keep the ball out of Jake Fromm's hands. Not because of the fact he's any good. He hasn't been good the last month. It's more because of the fact they know they're already up by a good bit. They don't need to be able to don't they don't need to put up like forty points in the second half. You could be fine and put up another twenty eight. That would put you had a pretty distinct advantage. That would put you in control of your of your team at that point. That would want to make you a clear and decisive winner when it comes down to it. You want to be in you want to have a 56 to 7 victory? You do that. You've got your number 1 spot, baby. But I still think we see some garbage time touchdowns. But here's I've got one more bold prediction. I mentioned it on Jordy's show yesterday, but in case you missed it, my bold prediction for the LSU game is without a doubt and this will be the last touchdown of the game. You've got John Emery, a commit at Georgia, who flipped it to LSU after Georgia lost to LSU in Tiger Stadium last year. John Emery runs in the final touchdown late in that ball game, as they kind of pour a little salt in the wound. At least it's what I hope happens. We're going to go ahead, and go ahead and take a quick timeout. Come back. We'll talk with Ross Jackson of All Saints Consider Locked On Saints podcast. And we'll talk about what's going on with those Saints 49ers and a whole lot more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with a CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And, man, just a great Saturday so far. Hopefully you're enjoying it with us here on Acadiana Sports Station. Of course, if you're a Cajuns fan right about now, you're kind of have lack right now because it is just not a good start for them at all. They're having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But guess what? It's a great day because we get to talk about the New Orleans Saints, 10-2 and two on the year, baby. And we get to look forward to seeing that big game, an NFC Championship game preview, perhaps, with a guy, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and Locked on Saints podcast. Ross, what's going on, amigo? Oh, man, doing just fine, dude, just fine. Thank you so much for having me back. Hey, I'm working on a good cause these days, uh, if you don't mind me sharing. Go ahead, uh, man. If anybody, has seen, if anybody has seen or heard from Matt Ryan, please call his mom. She's worried. Thank you. <laughs> 
I, I love really, it. really appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we we got to give we got to give you the time. I mean, but in all honesty, I think Matt Ryan has done something that's taken years for some people, especially on social media, to figure out that I mean. It, the flat earth theory is not true because we saw Matt Ryan get pushed into the oblivion into, into the center of the earth with that stiff arm from shy Tuttle last weekend. That's right. If nothing else, he's helped us make some, uh, some further, you know, he's helped further us in science, but uh, you know, we're just a little concerned. That's all, but he's, he's, he's contributed well to society. He's contributed well to the society, especially he's contributed well for us. Cause guess what? We've just had plenty of time yeah. to talk about what's going on with that Atlanta Falcons game. But now we're moving forward. Let's start things off. I think we obviously we need to kind of do a little conversation about what happened last weekend involving the NFC. Now the Saints in control, number one in the NFC after the San Francisco 49ers lost to the lost to the Ravens, and we saw the Seattle Seahawks in their game against the Minnesota Vikings, which pushed. This is the weirdest thing about the NFC to me is that the Seahawks beat the Vikings. They move up. And then we see the 49ers drop down pretty hard in the NFC South rankings right now, or the NFC rankings yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things to where, you know, once you have that first place in the division, then you're guaranteed one of the top four seeds within the conference. And so even though you're 10-2 and two and you're second place in your division, the San Francisco 49ers will drop all the way down to fifth and become a wild card team. But like you said, I mean, it's just the way that the NFC is stacked this year. When you look at the, you know, there's a three-way tie essentially in terms of record at the top of the division with the Saints, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. But since the Seahawks won head-to-head against the 49ers, it pushes them down. And since the Saints won uh, head-to-head against the Seahawks, it ends up locking them up as the number one seed with the Seahawks at number two, even though they have the same record. And then, of course, in there, the mix in there as well, you've also got the Green Bay Packers who aren't far behind record-wise. Then you've got the NFC East that's kind of doing their own thing. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that ends up pushing San Francisco so far down. But the Saints now have this, you know, lean right now on the number one seed, but there's still, uh, you know, a lot to be done in order to make sure that they can control it and then keep it as they move forward through the rest of the season here. And you brought up the NFC East. How big of a joke is that division right now to where like, like we just look at everything in there? That is an absolute bleep show. Yeah, it, it's, it's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, man, it, it's wild. The uh, uh, Cowboys are, what, 6-7 and seven right now, and they're holding the number one spot. And so we're looking now at a team that could be 500 or less winning that division and getting into the playoffs as the number four seed. They would still pop in better than the second-place team in the uh, NFC West, who is guaranteed at this point to have a, a better record than them. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, the Locked On Saints podcast. And before we get just more of an in-depth preview of Saints Niners, I want to get your thoughts on what's going on, the the firing of Ron Rivera, especially late in the season, how much, because that feels like it's a big surprise to me to see, obviously, Ron Rivera get, get the ax just a few weeks shy of the end of the year. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you looked at it and you kind of knew uh, something might be changing over in Carolina with the, the likelihood that Cam Newton's might not return. Uh, then you have this whole thing going on with Ron Rivera and the head coach and just how that has gone. This is a team that started off 0-2 and, and then all of a sudden won four straight with their, their rookie quarterback and then started to taper off again. And then, you know, so I, I, didn't, I wasn't surprised to see a move made, but much, I mean, basically what you're saying, I was surprised to see it at this point in the season. I thought that they would let him finish out the year 
and then get to a point to where, you know, then they move on from him if they made that decision to do so. But I figure at this point, you've got four games left in the season. Your goal at this point is to evaluate your players and then see who you have that you want to maintain through next year, uh, who you feel like you might be okay with moving on from. There's a lot to learn in these next four games. So I imagine you'd want to keep your top evaluator there, but they've decided and said that they were going to move on from Ron Rivera, and now they have the interim head coach that is charged with doing that moving into the next season. It's just a weird situation right now, and you have the fact in the NFC South, you can very well have like the other two, the other head coach, and Dan Quinn be the next one to fall. Obviously, Bruce Arians in his first year probably not going to get the axe. It's just weird to see what's going on with the NFC South right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at it, and you know the Saints are really uh, the Saints are really the only team that look like they're in a good position here. Um, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you kind of give a pass to with this being uh, Arians' first year, like you mentioned, but. Uh, you know, when you look at the fact that Dan Quinn could be on his way out, Ron Rivera is already on his way out, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, at least struggled this season. The Saints are really the only, I guess you could say, quote unquote, healthy team going into next season because you're not talking about any of these coaches potentially getting fired or being moved on from or anything like that. Instead, you're kind of talking about some of these Saints assistants and where they might end up next year because there's a lot of draw to guys like uh, Pete Carmichael as well as uh, Dennis Allen, Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn. These guys that always get that off-season interest from other teams. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints considered the Locked On Saints podcast. Now we're going to flip it over and get to what's causing all this. I think everybody's just looking forward to seeing Saints 49ers in the Superdome, an old-school NFC West rivalry. I think everybody knows how big of a deal this ball game is. But who's going to be the biggest key on the Saints' defensive front? Because now you've got A.J. Klein and you have a couple other linebackers out for that ball game. How how huge is it going to be for the defense to stop that pass that that run offense that has definitely kind of carved up defenses for the last several weeks? Yeah, this is this is probably one of my favorite things to talk about with this game, just because it, it it's going to be such a task for the Saints, but it's something that I think that they'll be able to do. They made a very smart move uh, this past week knowing that they very likely at the time, knowing that they weren't going to have Kiko Alonso uh, in this game, who has been outstanding in run support. He's really kind of outplayed A.J. Klein as of late in that aspect. But A.J. Klein's still a good run defender, not somebody you really want in the coverage, but still a good run defender. Um, but they know that these guys are probably going to be out. They were both hurt during the Thanksgiving game. It looked likely that they weren't going to play. So the Saints make a smart move, and they bring back Manti Teo who didn't play a ton in 2017 thanks to Alex Anzalone being healthy, Saints living in nickel packages where Teo's uh, you know, uh, linebacker position, the same position, would have been off the field. But this season, or, or 2018, he was outstanding for the Saints. He had seven tackles for a loss. He was second on the team in tackles for a loss throughout the season. And you now bring him in for these last four games as someone that fills the exact role that you need in the second level for a, a big game like this where you're dealing with essentially four running backs for the San Francisco 49ers, three main, but then you've also got a fourth guy that's another 4-3 guy that's back there, and that can get on the outside. And that's what the Saints are going to have to really watch in this game is, first of all, misdirection, not biting on the first move, and then also um, uh, outside runs, things that take the ball outside of the tackle or even outside of the, the tight end, depending upon which formation they're lined up in. And so some of the guys then that become really important in that are Manti Teo, he sees a lot of snaps, and then, of course, uh, Demario Davis, Marcus Davenport, and Cam Jordan, who all are going to serve roles in locking up those outside runs. Another guy that I'll throw in there, though, that I think is going to be really interesting to see what they do with him is Chauncey 
Gardner-Johnson. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, for a little while before P.J.'s uh, suspension came down, he ended up playing a lot of linebacker in those nickel packages and ended up being big at run support for the Saints because then they had somebody that could cover tight ends, that could cover slot receivers, but that could also be helpful in run support and could blitz off the edge. So P.J. and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson on the field at the same time gave them a ton of help as secondary players, but still coming in to the second level and making a difference for them. So I'm interested to see how they use Sean Garner-Johnson, particularly against this run out there. And then, of course, I think we also just need to kind of bring up, I think one of the biggest things that I'm most concerned about, Ross, is without a doubt, George Kittle. Probably one of my favorite personalities in the NFL outside of like members of the Saints roster. George Kittle just seems like a great cat overall. But how concerned are you about George Kittle to have a Greg Olson-esque game from a few years ago? Because we always knew Greg Olson could just tear up the Saints offense. Because it feels like tight ends always wind up having like a big ball game against a secondary that winds up having a hard time keeping up with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Greg Olson, I mean, uh, well, yeah, Greg Olson has given the Saints a lot of trouble in the past for certain. We've always hated watching him come to uh, come to New Orleans, but you know, when it comes to George Kittle, he's an outstanding talent. He's one of those guys that uh, you could say, quote-unquote, bloomed late as a pass-catching tight end. It really wasn't a thing for him in college. It's more of a blocker, and that it really worked for him uh, in the NFL. So clearly somebody that has had, yeah, I would say, has gotten better uh, in, the, in, in the pros. And so he's been outstanding for San Francisco, and it's going to come down to guys like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, Von Bell, the safeties in there that are going to be big in trying to figure out ways to – uh, and I'll, I'll address him sort of the same way that I address Christian McCaffrey. You don't neutralize him. You just try to limit him as much as possible. But if the Saints are able to keep control of the run game and keep the passing game or keep towards 49ers one-dimensional in their passing game, then it sets them up for success because when San Francisco has shown that they've thrown the ball more than 40 times or more than 20, 26 times is really Jimmy Garoppolo's average number of throws in their wins. And then in the games where they've struggled, you see him throw more than that. So if you can force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball, regardless of who he's throwing to, uh, then it's helpful and it helps limit what San Francisco is able to do on offense in terms of chewing up the clock, clock and shortening the game. And so that becomes really important. But you don't want George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders to have a big game or George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders to have a big game. If you can keep it limited to one of those guys, that's probably the best scenario that you're going to end up in. So you're not really going to neutralize somebody like George Kittle, but certainly keeping him limited is going to be helpful. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast. And how important is it going to be to have that crowd at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome? We all know they'll be like in a playoff atmosphere mode. How important is it to have this crowd just all the way amped up? Uh, it's extremely important. And I think Sean Payton said something that was really great in his press conference yesterday when he mentioned that he knows that the fans are smart. And what he means by that is that he understands, he knows that the fans understand how important this game is. Some fans might look at this and be, oh, this is a big Week 14 game between two teams that are really good, period. But it's more than that. It's about the number one seed. It's about the road to the Sorry about that. Go ahead. It's about no, it's all good. It's about the uh, road to the Super Bowl going through New Orleans. And so we, you know, they, they understand that the fans know what this game means, and the fans are going to show out. Much to Raheem Mostert's uh, uh, dismay, <laughs> it's just what he believes this game is going to be. The fans are going to show up, and they're going to show out, and they're going to be a big part of this game with a young quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, Ross, I got one more for you, more on the lighter side of things. What's been your favorite Mandalorian meme you've seen over the last couple weeks? 
Uh, man, I, look, I, I honestly think Baby Yoda memes are some of the best things to happen to the Internet. Yes. And one of the ones that I really loved, uh, and it was Saints, Saints Focus, but one of the ones that I really loved was Deuce Windham put one up to where it's uh, Baby Yoda and, um, and uh, Boba in the, in the ship. And they're, they're going back and forth about turning this on and turning this on. And one of the ones was Baby Yoda was the, um, was the Saints fans trying to turn on the run game. And then it was Sean Payton turning on the passing game to Michael Thomas. And it was so, so, so beautifully done. And uh, I loved what Deuce did with that one. That one was hysterical to me. That's amazing, Ross. Thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, brother. Talk to you next week, man. Enjoy the weekend. Oh, I definitely will, Ross. You can follow that guy on Twitter, at Ross Jackson, ASC. And in the meantime, throughout that interview, I kept just looking back and forth between the screen, seeing what time it was, and the other screen I got went on with the Saints, with the Cajuns App State game, 21-7 into the first quarter. Going to go ahead and take one more timeout before we give you one last take and we get up on out of here. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, and 103.7thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadia and a sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we are going to have a good day, you know. We can have some ups and downs throughout the day with college football, but guess what? We're still going to have a good day because guess what? We're still out here. We're still out here breathing. Hopefully you have a great one. Enjoying the show. Appreciate all the guests for joining the program today. Of course, talking about David Ware, Steve Lassen, Ross Jackson. Thanks to all those cats for joining the program as they always like to do. But, hey, you know, it, it feels appropriate. Last year we played a lot on the producers, but it feels appropriate to drop this in just before we get one last take, and that is about those LSU-Georgia games and, of course, talking about the Georgia Bulldogs. And I wonder, what happens when you beat the Georgia Bulldogs? When you beat the Georgia Bulldogs, you're going to sell a Bulldog. Bye. Hello. But, of course, we want that smoke. We want that feel-the-bow-dog bite. Because we want the smoke. Huh? We want the smoke. Santo. We want the smoke. Uh-huh. We want the smoke. Come on, Charlie. When you beat the Georgia Bulldogs, you're going to feel a bulldog bite. Hello. We got we to gotta drop those as much as possible over the next few minutes because we're wrapping up the program. And maybe just maybe LSU, I know they don't necessarily – it's not like whenever you see – the Houston Astros after winning the wild card, the ALCS, where they pop the champagne and pour a little bit of the bubbly. But hopefully we can see some of the LSU fan base celebrating the right way with a little bit of the bubbly. You got to do it. You got to do it. because I, I wouldn't be surprised if LSU gets the big win to this afternoon going into the early evening hours. Just looking forward to it in general. Hopefully you are as well. Meanwhile, you know, the Cajuns just – continues to be not good. So we're not going to talk about it because, after all, we got one last take. It's more about just enjoying yourself this weekend. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. 
My take this week, it's simple, but it's effective. Enjoy the weekend. Why am I saying that? Why am I keeping it that simple when it comes to one final take? It's because there aren't many weekends like this in the state of Louisiana where we dominate the conversation on a national scale. The Cajuns right now, they're on the mothership. They're on the big station playing for the Sunbelt title. Mind you, they're playing like um, uh, trash. But I'll say this. They're there. LSU's kicking off against Georgia in the SEC title game in just a few hours. You'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. And then we have the Saints playing the 49ers for a chance at dome field advantage in the postseason. The world of sports is centering on the Pelican State for all the right reasons, and there's a chance that all three of these teams that we frequent here on Acadiana Sports Station could be big winners. Cajuns, not so much. But LSU and Saints, oh, hell yeah, because they're still playing. Cajuns somehow rally back and get a win. It's not 28-3, it's 28-7. I think there's every chance in the world that the Cajuns could be ranked for the first time since WW2. Billy Napier, enjoy him while he's still here as well, because we know one day things could come to an end. And overall, just a great weekend. LSU, chance to win their first SEC title since 2011. It'll be way different than the last time LSU and Georgia faced off in Atlanta. That 50-yard line won't be a big bugaboo, and they'll pass that over several times. You don't need the Honey Badger to start off a big rally like we saw the last time. You'll see the monster among QBs, Joe Burrow, and his fleet of Jets, and Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, they'll be getting it done. And don't forget about a ground attack led by Mr. SEC on CBS, Clyde Edwards, a lair. And enjoy watching this offense in peak form against a great Georgia team. And sure, they'll be crying and complaining on Sunday, but enjoy the fact they're going to be in the CFP, baby. And finally, the Saints in a game that should be in prime time. Why? In the words of Dennis Reynolds from Always Sunny, it's about the implication. This is an NFC title game preview, and the Saints have every chance to lock down home field against a 49ers team that is on another level with Jimmy G at the helm. We're on the verge of seeing the Niners go from worst to first, but the Drew Brees and this defense is going to have a say in that. I think they could wind up getting the win and have dome field advantage, and hopefully you enjoy watching a main event title fight, whether it's on TV or or live and in a living color. So enjoy the weekend overall because there's not many football weekends left. And then after the regular season of football's over, then we are going to talk about what? Pelicans and how much they suck? Probably. But that's about all I got here in terms of my final take. Enjoy the college football weekend. Enjoy the NFL weekend because there's not too many weekends left where college football and NFL just completely absorb our lives. Think about that, if you will. Means that's the biggest thing that I just have to take away from this is we're that much closer to the end of that line, and then we get to look at the Pelicans and how much they suck. That's all I'm going to say. Have a great rest of your Saturday, everybody. Don't forget LSU pregame in one hour. Peace out, everybody. You've been listening to Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com, and this is, as always, Under the Dome with CD. Oh yeah, kick it!